It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey everyone, welcome to Talent Talk. It happens to be Tuesday at 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, which means I am live with two fantastic guests and really excited to have you all in with us today. You know, but most of you probably are listening after the fact and that's okay. So make sure that you are subscribing to whatever platform that you might be listening in on, whatever platform you might be choosing to listen to. We have, I think it was something like 10,000 downloads a day across all the different platforms, millions of downloads a year. And we're just really, really thankful for everyone who tunes in every week, whether it's live or if it's after the fact on the podcast, and is able to interact with our guests, learn from our guests, which is why I started the show, is I wanted to have more awesome conversations with incredibly talented people who have unique uh, perspectives and ideas and uh, concerns and, uh, you know, maybe inspiration for me to be to be thinking about it. Instead of me being the only one to talk to them and to ask them these questions, I thought, let's put it on the show, let's put it on the radio and let's let them talk to a whole audience at the same time. So that's really been what we've been doing here for years. I think we're just over 300 episodes that we have done since we began many years ago. And you know, a lot of the stories initially uh, from the show end up in my first book, uh, The Power of Company Culture, which I'm really proud turned out to be a bestseller. And then I just last week, many of you know, released a new book called Remote Work. And that hit number one on Amazon uh, in the HR category is a bestseller now. And if you haven't checked it out, well, there's no time like the present. So go on uh, Amazon and, and look for remote work, Chris Dyer, and I promise you won't be disappointed. And if you are, well, you know, you can always, you can always say bad things about me, I guess. So anyways, um, we are live every uh, Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, but uh, for those of you listening live, one of the things we like to do is have you interact with us. Uh, on Twitter. So at PeopleG2 or the hashtag Talent Talk, we are live tweeting as we go through this conversation. You can contribute, you can like, you can argue with us, you can, uh, any th- sort of links that we might mention, books and profiles, those will all be placed there in, in Twitter as sort of your little repository as you're going through. So if you're listening live or relatively close to when the show was recorded, it's a great place to go and interact and check out our guests, follow them and, uh, and learn more. All right, let's go ahead and talk about who's on the show today. Enough of the business. Um, you know, today we're going to have on president and CEO of the Blazing Group and my big idea uh, and awesome uh, glassware, Michelle Bailey, to the show. And then after the commercial break, we'll bring in president and co-founder of Greenhouse Software, John Strauss. But let's go ahead and bring in Michelle. Michelle, welcome to the show today. I'm so excited to be here with you today, Chris. 
Well, anyone who's uh, listening, you'll have to use your imagination, but if you're watching on our YouTube channel, you'll be able to see her awesome glasses, and you know I like wearing my fun glasses too. So uh, you said you have 27 of them around the house, which would definitely breaks my record. So, <laughs> and they're all color coordinated, which I can tell you're, you're, you have a, definitely a design sense. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about more about you, what you do, what's important for us to know about our, in our conversation today. Okay. My name is Michelle Bailey and I own two companies. One is called Blazing. It's a advertising agency that has been around for 26 years, which is unheard of in our space, especially a woman-run agency. We work with all kinds of brands from Edward Jones to Castrol Oil and everything in between finance. We work in all industries and I have an incredible team, many of which have been with me. The average tenure here at Blazing is 16, 17 years. Again, unheard of in the industry. That led me to uh, start another company that has nothing to do with advertising. It's called My Big Idea. And what My Big Idea is does is helps corporations help their employees come up with work-life blend. Notice, Chris, I didn't say balance. It's work <laughs> blend and integration. So I delivered out of practical experience and watching what my own team was going through and my clients, I created this wellness and employee engagement platform that is absolutely amazing. I love that term. I'm going to steal a blend. I will credit you, of course. But uh, I love that idea because for years I've been telling people there is no such thing as work-life balance, especially because me and my team were 100% remote. And so the lines you know, bleed a bit more. There's less of that that signpost. You know, I'm not driving to work and then I go in the door and it's like, oh, it's time to work, right? And then I leave at the end of the day and drive home, oh, it's time to stop. I don't have those natural signposts uh, you know, working remotely, working from home or being on the road and, and all of that. And so the blend is a great concept and I'm going to make my interpretation and I'd love for you to kind of, you know, go a little deeper. It's finding those times to turn it on and turn it off, right? And is it a good time for me to work right now? Yeah, it might be 9 p.m. at night, but I, I got energy, I got a passion, I want to work right now. And then I also need to not feel guilty when I'm really not in the mood to work and I'm really unproductive at like three o'clock on a Wednesday. And I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be trying to force it right now and let it come back to me later when I am feeling it. Is that, is that what you mean by blend or is there sort of more to it? For me, Chris, there's more to it. What I help people do uh, with my big idea is look at the different areas of their life where they need to get real clarity, focus, mm. so they had a roadmap moving forward. So when I start a workshop, I start with reflection, 10 questions about what worked and what didn't work the past year, like very direct questions. This book workbook is only for you. So you need to be honest with yourself. And I teach by showing people the answers I've put to some of the questions so they can see how hard I want them to reach in. Then we look at personal goals, professional goals, health and wellness goals, finance and wealth, relationships and your support network, refueling to be the best version of yourself, whether it be at home or at work. And then I end every session with gratitude because no one of us is here today without the help of people along the way. So it's up to you to let people know how they've impacted your life, the difference they've made. So I actually created seven questions that if you answer these questions and tell them to somebody else, give it to them, say it to them, it changes relationships. 
So much so, Chris, that um, like you, um, I just launched a book April 16th. It's a Forbes book and it's called The Currency of Gratitude. And I launched that because Forbes had heard about me and the sessions that I teach on gratitude and my big idea. And they said, can you write a book to show business leaders how easy this is? I'm there. I'm six weeks out of the gate. And day eight, I became an Amazon bestseller. Awesome. That is awesome. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about what is the currency of gratitude? Well, Chris, for me, I called a currency of gratitude because for me, gratitude is a currency just like money. It has value. So picture this. If you're taking a bunch of money and you're stuffing it in your mattress, nothing happens. It stays there. Just like gratitude, if you do not express it, invest it, pay it forward, give it away, you don't get anything back. Mm -hmm. That is the lesson I'm trying to teach people. While I firmly believe in, you know, waking up and being grateful for the things in your life, meditation, mindfulness, a gratitude journal, what I feel I'm now teaching is how to take gratitude and push it outward to others. I feel gratitude needs to be given away, just like energy. When you have good energy and you're having a good day, you owe it to someone else to give them some of that energy. Because especially now people are grappling with so much, give your energy away. It just multiplies and adds something to someone else's day. It's a really great uh, reminder because, you know, we could easily sit in a senior level leadership meeting and say, boy, Tom and and Jessica are really killing it. They're doing a great job. They're our key employees, but they're not sitting in the meeting, right? They don't know that we just talked about them, that we think they're great, that they're doing all the things we want them to do. Instead, you know, what we should be doing is going to them and telling them how much we appreciate them or calling them out and whether however your company does recognition and gratitude. But I can't tell you how many times I've seen people you know, in one level, talk about people at a different level, but they don't know about that. There's that they're missing like this wire or this, you know, this, I don't know, telephone wire or something to know that, geez, I am appreciated. Geez, they, I am going in the right direction. Geez, I am doing the right things. Um, and, and so how do we, how do we do more of that? How, how do we sort of expand? Is it just an individual thing one at a time? Is there something that we have to I'm a big believer in like systems, right? Can we institutionalize this in some larger scale inside our organizations? Well, that's a couple twofold. Should you ask me about setting, systemizing it and doing it individually. For me, the biggest impact has been doing it individually. And I often do it in a handwritten card. Not that gratitude always needs to be expressed with a card. But for me, when I write a, a note to somebody, express my gratitude, I answer seven sentences. One word that describes you. You came into my life. You bring me joy by. You inspire me because I hope to add to our journey together. And I want to thank you for answering those questions, Chris, changes relationships. When I write those cards, wherever I go, whether it be friends, clients, family, suppliers, strategic partners, I see my cards in their office, in their homes, because it takes me five minutes to write that, but the meaningful impact it has for others is amazing. So individually is the way I like to express gratitude the best. And also, especially through these times, Chris, 
uh, active listening, mm. silence do the lifting, being open and respective. Some people just need to vent and tell you how hard it is for them right now. There's different ways that gratitude can be shown and given. As far as groups, I also have a team. They are now all working remotely, not in the offices. I go out of my way to do things like socially distanced barbecues. I send them packages of cookies and cupcakes. I send them bottles of wine with cheese trays with just a little note, thinking about you. I know it's tough. Have this with your, your partner tonight. Just little things like that. So can it be systemized? Well, Chris, the last question is, for me, I've systemized it. I mm -hmm. systemize it because in my planner every week, I write down under the thoughts for gratitude in the My Big Idea Planner. I write down notes under reflection. Who do I need to think about this week? Who needs a little extra? And then I have a section for gratitude. And every week in that gratitude section, there better be two up to seven people that I need to let them know how they've impacted my week, my month, my day. And I do that in whatever way I think would be best received by that person. You know, we do, uh, I've talked about in the show before, but we do this thing called green flags inside of our water cooler room in Slack. And so it's completely just an, an act of altruism. It's just, hey, this person did something great for me, or I noticed they helped the client out. It's more of a virtual, you know, pat on the back. We don't promote on it. We don't, you know, give gift cards on how many green flags. There's nothing gaming. It's just, uh, you know, thank you. And I noticed, because I tend to not be that good, I'll write down some things I'm, I have gratitude about, but I, I won't, I'm not, I probably would never be as consistent as you are with sending stuff out like that, right? I, I, every year I tend to do that. I'll go and really send out a lot of cards and I'll write things, you know, to my employees. Um, but I noticed that they were giving me the real cl uh, clue into who I needed to go and say thank you to. Because if I noticed that one person was getting a lot of these green flags during the month, well, I should probably as a CEO go and say, man, I noticed you've been killing it, right? And on the flip side, if I noticed that someone got one and hadn't had one in a very long time, then I would call them and be like, hey, tell me what you did. Tell me what that was all about so I could get that story and that kind of encouraged them to do more, right? And to make a bigger deal out of the one because I never wanted anyone to like give a green flag like a participation trophy. I don't want to give them out just because we, someone hasn't had one in a while. Um, yeah, so it, it, it sounds like it's a matter of you got to come up with a good process for you and then you got to come up and then translate into a good process for your people uh, if you want them to kind of all work in conjunction. Because, go ahead. No, I was just going to say absolutely. And I love the fact that you made a mention of the person who maybe doesn't have a flag or just one flag because often especially the last 15, 16 months, those people that are quiet on the video calls that um, look very uh, distant are the people that we need to reach out to the most. They need yeah. us. They need the connection because we're all missing that. So how do we take gratitude in? I, uh, this is a lot of our listeners want to know, okay, you know, the squishy stuff is fine. Make my people happy. That's fine. But how do I make my business grow faster? Right? So what's the connection between gratitude and business growth? Absolutely. Okay, so then I'm going to take you back to the two companies that I have. Blazing is an ad agency. We are all about creating brand awareness. My big idea is looking at the employee as a person, an individual first and a professional second. So that's my big idea. 
when you get people clear and they're on board, they become brand champions. So you've got brand ambassadors and brand champions. When you throw in gratitude, it finishes the Venn diagram because then you get brand loyalty. And when you get brand loyalty, you get business growth and you get business results because sticky people stay. Sticky people stay because mm -hmm. 80% of people right now are burnt out. 56% of people are looking for a job actively or passively. And if that person leaves, it takes 33% of their salary to replace them. So those numbers speak for the ROI of gratitude and loyalty and brand champions, those numbers alone. Now, are there some things that maybe people should, I guess, be careful about as they put together the strategy? Because, you know, I have had people send me a note or send me stuff and it can sometimes has felt maybe a little contrived or maybe it was, you know, they were just sending out 50 of these or you get one every other month. And they're like, yeah, I mean, is there, there's gotta be a balance there, right? Between it needs to be authentic. It needs to be something that really happened. It needs to be, I would imagine again, for this pure sake of just saying, thank you, not for geez, I want you to say thank you. Cause I want you to spend more money with me. Um, you know, so are there, are there other types of air, things that maybe people need to be cautious of as they begin to, to do this kind of strategy? You know what? You said the word, it has to be authentic. It has to be real. When I show gratitude to someone, I express and expressively tell them what it is I'm grateful for or yeah. what I appreciate that they've done for me. So when you're talking about, you know, 50 chocolate bars being sent out to people with what looks like a customized note, no, that's a marketing campaign. That's a drip campaign. This is not what gratitude is about. It's about like when the crisis hit uh, several months into the crisis, my husband's company, I said to him, what are you doing for your clients? He has a group benefits consultancy. He said, I don't know, what should I be doing for my clients? I said, you work with HR people. They're stressed out of their mind. <laughs> just write them each a gratitude card, thanking them for sticking with you. How can you help? What can we do? And I just want to thank you for choosing us to be your group benefits partner. He sent out a hundred of those cards. Unexpected. You should see the calls he got back here to help because we know you are dealing with an incredible amount of stressful employees and anxious employees. And I just wanted to remind you that we care and you matter. Simple. Yeah. I remember I right at the height of the pandemic. I mean, I sent out a note to all the business owners that we work with and said, Hey, if anybody wants to talk and just exchange notes on what, you know, what you're hearing, whatever I'm like, I'm here. I'll, you know, have a conversation with, cause I didn't know what else to do for them. Right. And, you know, I had only a few that really wanted to have that conversation. I think a lot of people were distressed. It was too much noise. They didn't have time, you know, um, or they were fine. And it was really interesting. The ones I had the conversations with, they were just dying to just talk through it with somebody. Just even if what we said was we didn't know anything, we didn't know it was going to happen, which we didn't. Right. Um, they just wanted someone to like, I guess, be in that same dark place with or just commiserate with, you know, <laughs> Mi misery you know loves company. <laughs> but you know what, Chris, and talking about that, you know what I started doing with my clients is virtual lunches. You go get your lunch. I get mine. We eat it together or coffee dates or wine at the end or a cocktail at the end of the day. I have clients who were so busy during the pandemic. I was lucky to see them once a quarter. Now they won't let me get off a call without scheduling next month's virtual lunch. And we show each other what we're eating. And we just pretend we're in a restaurant 
on a patio and we right. just had a conversation about everything but work. Ah, so that, that that's another really good key that we listen to. You know, if you're going to go and, and I, lear I learned this lesson a long time ago and I, it seems counterintuitive, but someone once told me when you go visit a client, don't talk about business until they bring up business, right? And I was like, well, you could end up talking the whole time and never get to the thing you wanted to get to, right? And I think that's only happened once where the person just didn't ever bring up business. And all the other times, eventually they go something and then now you're in it, right? And if they're willing to bring it in, then you can bring it in and, and start talking. But man, does that change the whole dynamic, right? If you can't bring up work, you suddenly really have to, as you mentioned, active listening. You really have to know the person and get to know details about them and ask things on the personal end, which then really bonds that relationship. Uh, and, and to your point, makes it sticky, right? And sticky, sticky people stay. I love that. And another, another thing that Michelle's given us today that we're definitely all going to have to steal. Just don't forget to give her credit. So, <laughs> well, what, what are some of the challenges? Uh, you, you've mentioned a couple of times, you mentioned what your husband did and what you did. Um, are there other maybe sort of things we should be thinking about as we're expressing gratitude coming, coming up, right? Cause we had gratitude during uh, crisis and I, some ways I almost felt like it was easier for leaders to like do something. Cause it was like, okay, this is a crap time. I know this is what I'm supposed to step up. Yeah. I'm going to talk to all my people, but now as we're sort of coming back to maybe things are a little bit better, are we going to get complacent? Are we going to get you know, slow down. So what, what, what should we be thinking about here for the rest of the year as things begin to change? People are nervous and anxious and skittish. We're trying to find our way around what this next phase looks like, both at work and socially. So what I have found the most impactful is um, sheer transparency and vulnerability. So when people, I might say to you, how are you doing? You go, oh, fine, really looking forward to going back to the office. What I will say is, you know what? I'm really struggling. I'm very anxious. I'm worried about who wants to come to work and who doesn't. I'm worried about what our future might look like, what our real estate's going to be like. I, I'm, I lead with vulnerability, and I'm very honest with it. Even though I'm the leader, they need to know that I'm scared and I'm unsure, just like them. But then I reassure them that we will figure this out and we will figure it out together. We've been through, we've been together a long time. We've been through some recessions together. We went through an employee embezzlement fraud and forgery at my firm, um, which nearly, you know, nearly bankrupt us. So we will get through this, but I need to hear and, and what I can't hear if you don't tell me, mm -hmm. mind. So I need you to be honest with me so we can deal with it from a place where we're both comfortable. Chris, I might have some people who say, I never want to go back to the office. And as an ad agency, collaboration, strategy, the energy here is paramount. paramount. So what happens when someone says, I'm not coming back? I don't feel safe. I've got to figure that out. I got to respect that. Right. And, and that just takes, I think that's really the future of work is leaders uh, and managers and, you know, business owners being able to create the, f 
what is fair, but not necessarily equal for all employees, right? How do we create this customized approach so for so we can attract and, and, and retain our best people? Um, and I think really the attract part is big because you may have only considered people who could work from nine to five at the, in this particular part of the, of the city, you know, that whatever, and that meant that you couldn't really access talent pools and, and people who can't work those consistent hours, but they could work them in pieces or in different ways. Right. And you might get someone who's fantastic, who's also raising kids or taking care of a sick spouse or, you know, whatever. And for me, that's always been the benefit of remote work is we could tap into these talent pools that nobody else could, or nobody else wanted to, or nobody else was even thinking about. Um, because we couldn't afford the New York or LA, you know, prices and, and cost of living and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting to kind of hear you kind of go through some of that, uh, and think about what's going to come next. Uh, you mentioned transparency is one of the, you kind of talked more about gratitude, but transparency was a part of that sentence. And, and would you agree that that's probably the easiest place for leaders to start if they want to, to create more of that with their people is to start with being transparent before they worry about, I guess, sharing all their feelings or, or all of that? Is it just a matter of making sure everyone's on the same page? I think transparency is key, especially in a leadership position, because we don't have all the answers and we're trying to figure it out like you. But I will tell you, Chris, transparency and vulnerability are very, very hard for a lot of people right. to show. Right. So, you know, you don't open the kimono all up at once, but start to show little pieces where you're not all wise, all knowing, all all everything. You're yeah. just trying to figure it out as we go along and trying to create the best, safest and most productive situation, understanding and hearing what their fears are. Well, Michelle, it's been uh, wonderful having you on the show today. I really hope we can have you come back at some point and give us a more updates and more thoughts and leadership. Um, the last quick question before we go is how can people find out more about you? What's the best way for them to learn more about you and what you're doing? Go right to michellebailey.com. Michelle has one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, Bailey, just like it sounds, Irish cream, yeah. uh, .com. And uh, that's the Forbes website. And it'll lead you to my big idea in blazing. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break and bring in our second guest, John Strauss. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. 
Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Michelle Bailey, uh, you can uh, check out her interview on iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, or even go to talenttalkradio.com and subscribe there. Um, we'd love to have uh, you all also be a part of the conversation on Twitter right now. So if you're there, go ahead and follow at PeopleG2 and you'll be able to see all the best comments, uh, links to pr- profiles or books or anything else that we mention uh, as we go along on the show. My next guest is president and co-founder of uh, Greenhouse and co-author of Talent Makers, How the Best Organizations Went Through Structured and Inclusive Hiring. John, welcome so- to the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? I know a little bit about your company as I think we're in, our platform is integrated into your platform, so we sort of know a little bit about you. But you know, what's important for our uh, listeners to know about you and, and the work that you're doing? Sure. So Greenhouse is a hiring software company, um, set up something in the, in the applicant tracking space, and we've been around since 2012. And the really premise of the company was that we saw more and more companies who are realizing that hiring is no longer just an administrative or compliance function. It's a strategic function. Companies, uh, the way to win a business is to win at hiring. And so when a company makes that decision, they decide they're going to hire very differently. And so our aim is to be the catalyst to help companies make this transition to become great at hiring. So I've really noticed that, and and the pandemic helped with this, um, but we finally in the last year or two maybe started to see some big advancements in how we're handling people as it relates to you know, bringing them on board and, and all of that. I mean, I think it's long been said that people are the our company's most valuable asset, and yet we treat them like total crap uh, during yeah. the onboarding process and anything yeah. to do with compliance and all that. So, yeah. you know, uh, how are, are, you know, I guess, you know, are, are you kind of seeing this change? Are you seeing that being a more of a focus and, and why? Absolutely. I think what we saw was, um, you know, when everybody was forced to do all remote hiring, Adapting a recruiting process to doing it remotely wasn't so hard to get your head around. It was like, well, we used to do in-person interviews. Now we'll do them over Zoom. Right. That took about 20 minutes to, to adapt to, right? When it came to onboarding, and say, well, how do we get a new hire into the company effectively? That was profoundly different. And what mm-hmm. people realize is that onboarding historically was thought of as, uh, you know, make sure that they get all the paperwork signed, they're on payroll, they have a computer and a desk and a phone. And now folks are realizing, well, actually, onboarding is far more profound than that. It's how do they become a part of the community of the company? How do they learn the culture and values of the company? How do they learn the social norms of the company? And you used to just do that by throw people uh, at their desk next to all their teammates, and they'll kind of figure it out. Right. This world, you can't do that. Um, and so everybody started to get really nervous and say, for all those years that managers were saying, I don't really feel comfortable with remote work, it's like, well, now you're forced into it. Uh, and so what we saw was companies getting far more intentional about how am I going to bring people in? How do I create a plan so that nobody falls through the cracks? That introvert who doesn't practically reach out um, is going to make sure that somebody's their buddy, somebody's having virtual lunch with them, and that they are becoming a part of the community of the company. Well, you know, we, for years, were all in one office in one little cubicle farm, and we did a terrible job of onboarding and a terrible job of communicating and a terrible job of being transparent. And then when we weren't together in 2009, we went fully remote. We got really good at onboarding and really good at communicating because we weren't, we couldn't be lazy anymore, right? It's right. just, <laughs> right. You had to be proactive about it. And so that's the thing is there are companies like that who had done this years ago, right? Even at Greenhouse, we had certain teams who had already said we're going to be fully distributed. And so we had a whole playbook of how to do it. And you realize like, it's not rocket science, like it's all doable. 
Uh, but you have to be really proactive and intentional about it. And I think a lot of companies had to get up that curve very quickly over the last year. And so I think yeah. that'll all last, frankly, afterwards, because more and more people probably won't be coming back to the office. And all these things that people have realized about how do we be good at onboarding, uh, they'll continue to do, because why not? And it's amazing all the innovation that's come out of it. I mean, we we had to come up with how do you verify someone's ID and be able to do I-9s and all that stuff. We developed a whole new technology for people to be able to yeah. use you know, their mobile phones and be able to, and but on the flip side, like allowed them like the control to get it done quickly, yeah. right? Which could have given them the autonomy to get, if they, if they want to be, if they're motivated, they want to start their job tomorrow, they could get it all done themselves, right? Very, very yeah. quickly, as opposed to waiting for the HR person to call you back and then you can come down on, maybe next Wednesday at one o'clock would work, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. Well, Are you, you just think of like the emotions of like getting a new job, right? It's like usually you go through all of this excitement to accept the offer and then the company goes dark. And you have a couple of weeks where like nothing happens mm-hmm. and then you get all this anxiety about what's going to happen. And you go on the first day and you fill out paperwork and you hope they yeah. remember to order your computer. It's this huge letdown. And there's all this data that shows that, comp- that employees make the decision of how long they're going to stay at the company in the first three weeks of employment. Oh, I've heard it's like the first day they know yeah. if they're going to last two weeks, right? In the first two weeks, they know if they're going to last two months. And yeah, it's crazy. Exactly, exactly. And that's where you realize like, oh, right, you can get all that paperwork stuff done even beforehand, potentially. So that first day is about joining the company and learning your job and meeting your coworkers. Uh, and there's huge advantage to be had by that. I have told people this probably more times than I, w- I want to admit, but I said if you're not ready for them to come in on their first day, don't have them come in. Yeah. Like, just delay. Like, say, I'm really sorry. We didn't get thing ready. If you want to pay them or not pay them, I mean, that's up to you. But, like, you could tell them, just don't come in tomorrow because we're not ready. We don't want to waste your time. Go, you know, read more about the website or go research more or, you know, go down the beach and enjoy your day yeah. off. Like, what's the point of bringing them in if you don't have their computer, you don't have their business cards, you don't have pens and paper for them, they don't have a desk, they don't have... It's it, you know it's just so frustrating for those people. So it's I always compared to you know the customer journey, right? Is like what? How prepared would you be to go to a sales call to mm-hmm. sell a potential new customer? How right. prepared would you be when they sign on the dotted line and now they become your customer and you have to onboard them? Yeah. And if you could, let's say like we're not going to bring that same level of rigor and preparation, the recruiting process, the onboarding process. It's like well, what are you saying to those employees? Um, what's the signal that you're sending to them? Yeah, putting it in your world, could you imagine starting with, okay, today's launch day for your new greenhouse software, um, but we didn't create any of your admin uh, credentials. No users have been put in. Um, you know, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. What would be the point? You didn't really launch, did you? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I know your, your new book is called uh, Talent Makers. So mm-hmm. what is a talent maker? Sure. So talent maker is a phrase we coined uh, to talk about business leaders and what is their responsibility in the hiring process. The, you know, the, the history of it goes back is that you know, we first started the company, we used to always joke that hiring is a team sport that half the team doesn't want to play, right? You had this thing that recruiters are trying really hard um, and their hiring managers aren't really playing along and doing their part. And now we've seen almost 10 years later, it's a big shift where the hiring managers are more and more figuring out, oh yeah, like if I'm a head of engineering or head of sales, my success is entirely about how well can we hire. And yet, there's this gap where those hiring managers don't necessarily have a shared vision of what does success look like? What does great hiring look like? And specifically, what is my role in that? What am I supposed to do to ensure that we hire well, right? And I do have a role. It's not just the recruiter's job. It's also my job. 
And so as we talked to more and more people, we realized that this gap was there. So we coined this phrase talent maker and said, here are the responsibilities of a talent maker. And then we wrote this book to help them understand, here's what great hiring looks like and here's your role in it. Well, that's really key because, you know, if we don't communicate exactly, I mean, very specifically what we want from our team to look for when they're hiring, is it, do we, are we looking for more diversity? Are we looking for a certain level of talent or a, of uh, maybe it's a skill, maybe it's a personality type. Um, you know, for, for years, we, we took on the strategy of, we used the strength finders, gave everyone the test and said, where do we have lots of strengths, right? And it was like, oh, that's really cool. We have all these strengths over here. I'm like, yeah, it's really cool. But look at all the places we got nothing. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. we're dead. We have no one in these categories. I'm like, we're not hiring anybody unless they fill one of these categories. We can get some checkbox. And that was for us, that was, was a short version of a very long story. But like all of a sudden who we started hiring and who started coming to me for the final interviews, massively different in what, how they looked, how they talked, where they came from, what schools they went to, their talents, their hobbies, totally different. Because before it's, it's, it's just human nature. Like I have 20 people to consider. Who do I pick? Well, the person who likes the sports team I like, who went to the school I went to, who kind of looks and talks like me, and that seems pretty easy. I'm, I can trust myself. I can probably trust them, right? And you end right. up with a company that looks, it just doesn't ever change. It's just tunnel vision. That's right. Uh, that's right. And, and I think, um, I mean, we tried to coin uh, three responsibilities of a talent maker. So these are the three things that you've got to do. One is be a talent magnet that you yourself have to be somebody who people want to work for, right? When you go to close a candidate and say, here's why I want you to work here, it's far more powerful when it's the, the leader in the company versus the recruiter doing that, right? Number two is you have to be a talent, uh, le uh, talent leader, which is to say you're setting the culture in your organization where you're saying, hey, we're going to really engage with like, well, you know, strength finders. Like, what, what are the things that we're actually weak on? Where do we need to go, right? Recruiter's job, they're going to just pull a job description off the web and they're going to put it up there and their job is to fill the seat. You as the leader have to say, no, this is what we care about. And this is why we want you to do interviews. And this is what you're looking for in that interview. And last is talent partner, is that you play your role vis-a-vis -vis the recruiter, right? The recruiter has a very important role to play, but you also as a leader also have a role to play. And so you've got to support each other. And I think uh, what we found so far is that it's an aha moment when people read it. They're like, oh, I knew... <laughs> I know I figured out that hiring is important as a, as a business leader. I wasn't quite sure what I was, what I was doing wrong or what I wasn't doing. Like I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing. And then I read this and realize, Oh, I'm not doing half the things I'm supposed to be doing. So what's the balance then for the recruiters, right? I mean, they're given a pretty tough job to begin with to go out and find these people and often to find the, the magical unicorn that doesn't exist for your, you know, certain job type. You know, what's the balance between like getting them to really understand what, what we're looking for from those really special key things to like letting them just do their job and get the people. And then maybe it's up to us as the leaders to decide which one of those candidates fits our, our process. I mean, it's going to be a partnership, right? Is, is you got to like, you know, have that open dialogue and say like, listen, if you come up with this like purposeful requirements where it's like there are two people on the entire planet who fit these things, here's how long it's going to take and here's how expensive it's going to take to make that higher. If you're willing to open the aperture and say, are these things really critical or what, what, could, what actually isn't so critical? Now you're able to get a much more diverse candidate pool and have a better chance of making your hire. If it's like, hey, I brought 12 people on site and you hired none of them, well, then we have a big disconnect because I thought all these people fit what your requirements are and it turns out they don't. 
Right. So ultimately, it's got to not be pointing fingers, but say, no, no, we, we each have a role to play. And how are we going to negotiate this together? Do talent makers really serve the purpose in maybe helping the company create a more structured process? Or is this, you know, is it like, is it more like a larger concepts, right, that we say we agree to and then allow them to fill that in? Or is it, or is it much more structured than that? So, I mean, clearly the, the core of Greenhouse has always been about structured interviewing. Right, is that is that you start from a plan instead of doing the random thing where you ask whatever random questions you happen to think of in the moment and say, yeah, he laughed at my jokes, let's make the hire. You actually start from a specific plan that hopefully you do with that hiring manager, with that talent maker, and you say, how we know this person's going to be successful? Uh, what does success look like for this role? What things do they have to have done or need to be able to do to be able to be successful in this role? And so, I would say, if you can't do that. If you can't start from that alignment between that recruiter and the hiring manager, it's really hard to run a structured process. And so that's the first place that I always counsel people when they're really struggling and not doing well, is say, start with a kickoff meeting. Start mm-hmm. with like, can we answer these eight questions together about this role? And if we can get on the same page there, it makes it much easier to run a structured process afterwards. And that's probably something that has to be revisited constantly, right? Like monthly, quarterly, by position. I mean. I can see like organizations say, yeah, we're going to do this. And they talk about it one time and then like three years goes yeah. by and they're right back where they started, right? What, uh, what we tend to find is that there's a lot of companies who, you know, structured interviewing hasn't occurred to them or the recruiter gets it, nobody else does. <laughs> and it's really a struggle to get started, right? And I would talk to recruiters and they'll be like, it's never going to work at our company. They, yeah. They're, you know, they're so resistant. They've been hiring the same way forever. It obviously makes sense to do structured interviewing, but, but they won't do it here. And invariably what you see is once they start going down that path, they do the kickoff meeting, they set up interview kits where they say, here's exactly what's going to happen in each interview. Each, each interviewer is now given preparations. And before you walk in the door for the interview, here's exactly what you need to know about the candidate. Here's the exact questions you're going to ask. You're going to meet five candidates in a row. You're going to ask them all the same questions. That'll be really easy to calibrate between them. It's something you get momentum. They get to the huddle at the end of the process. and They're like, oh, we totally have alignment on what we're looking for. We collected consistent data across every candidate. It's way easier to make a decision. And then what you find is it spreads virally in the company because it's never happens across the whole company all at once, right? Is that people say, oh, I'm never going back. And so every day we have people who buy greenhouse. We say, why do you buy? And they go, because I used it elsewhere. I'm not going backwards. Once I've seen how this can work, how the structuring thing goes, like, no, we're, gonna, we're not going to relapse back to how it was because it was, it was that bad. So does this kind of process create a competitive advantage, in your opinion? Absolutely, right? If One, if you have a great structured process, you're going to have a better candidate experience. You're not going to ask the duplicative or legal irrelevant questions, right? You're going to be faster. Alignment creates speed, right? If everybody's on the same page, you can go way faster and make your hires way, way faster. If you're able to make decisions where you can opt people in and hire people that everyone else misses because they're blinded by their biases, you now have access to talent that no one else has. Mm-hmm. And so there are all these places where a structured interviewing process absolutely creates a competitive advantage. Right now, as we sit here in, on June 1st, right, of 2021, the great rehiring is happening. And we're talking to people all over the economy who are like desperate trying to hire. So, hey, if you could more predictably, quickly bring on the very best talent, would that be a competitive advantage for you? Nearly everyone would say yes at this moment. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's really huge. And especially because we're seeing that maybe a whole bunch of people are going to leave their jobs, uh, whether that's because they're not getting the flexible work that they're wanting. Maybe it's because they've just been holding on. They're not really happy anymore. Maybe it's just, 
you know, having something new, having a new challenge, a new role would just sort of create a new uh, path for that person, right? Or, like I, and also I've been reading, like, <laughs> they've been spending the last year getting training and they, like, they basically, up, you know, kind of upped their, their game. And so they're going to be looking for that new job with those new sets of skills or, or education that they got. Yeah. Um, so we may see this incredible turnover, which as a background truck company, I won't mind. Uh, but that's certainly <laughs> going to be a challenge for a lot yeah. of organizations. That's my theory. Uh, I think there's a lot of folks who normally would have left their job in the normal course of business and said, oh, I don't like my boss. Or I'm ready for something new. And they didn't want to go through remote onboarding. They didn't want to take the chance of being the newest hire at a company potentially doing, uh, you know, doing layoffs. And so a lot right. of people stuck in where they are. And I think now that everything's freeing up and you can say, take a little break over the summer and then get a new job and trust that you'll be able to get a new job. I think we'll have a huge turnover throughout the economy. So in, in, in Talent Makers, you explained that uh, over the past decade, the job search process has become markedly different. I think you wrote, uh, the war for talent is over. Talent one was different uh, today than in the, in the past. The, the balance of power is changing, at least in parts of the economy, where it used to feel like company opens a job, they get 100 applicants, they can do whatever they want, they can choose whatever they want. They don't really have to compete. All the candidates are competing for them. Right. Now what we see in huge parts of the economy is that shifted, right? Is the candidates have the expectation like, no, I'm going to let employees, I'm going to move around jobs every couple of years. Companies are saying, listen, uh, the, the value of a great employee is getting bigger and bigger, right? If we're talking about like information age economies, the Googles and Facebooks of the world, the difference between a good and a great employee has gotten way bigger. And so they're desperate for that top talent. Everybody wants to reach that, say, that one person. And so... Because of that, I think companies are having to try a lot harder to compete and win for those people, which I think is a very different power dynamic than you maybe would have seen decades ago. And, you know, this always seems to come up every so many years where people just want to sort of blame the, the next generation coming in, right, for being difficult or being different or, or what have you. But I will say that I didn't really see a huge difference with millennials other than some of the more positive thing that they could bring to the organization, right? Their ability to, to be able to use technology and things like that. But I do notice that this newer generation does seem to want to just be able to do things quicker with less human interaction. Um, and I'm noticing already organizations and from a marketing and sales perspective are making this adjustment, right? How can we help them buy the product they want to buy or buy, get the service they want to get without having to talk to a salesperson, without having to you know, do all of this. I and mean, a lot of the big research is saying B2B is going to change as more and more of those people get into uh, positions of decision-making power. Do you think that that's going to maybe come to the hiring fold as well? That maybe would they get hired and go through a process with very limited interaction with people? And would that be a, a benefit for them, right? To be able to say, I want the job. Let's figure out if I'm the right person with the least amount of friction among the human perspective, right? And then get in the door. I don't know. It seems like that's coming from the other side. If the recruiters are saying, boy, if we could do less human interaction and more automated yeah. assessments, that would make our lives a lot easier. Um, yeah. I think the issue is it becomes really dehumanizing. Yeah. And so from a candidate, so you're hearing a pushback of people who don't like doing these video interviews. And there's, and there's a potential for, you know, the ethical AI issues where people are saying, oh, we're going to use these machines to rate people and make decisions about folks. 
And that gets mm-hmm. a lot of you because a lot of people are really nervous about like, well, how are those decisions getting made? So I don't know that the candidates are going to start demanding it and saying, I want to talk to humans less. I just want you to <laughs> rate me programmatically and get me the job or not. Well, I mean, on one end, it could be a way for us to meet a lot of our uh, goals around diversity and inclusion, diversity of thought. I mean, if 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 we're putting someone through a process and we're not allowing humans to come with all their biases and 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 crap, right? If it's, geez, they have this they have this experience or they have these, if we could test them somehow, they have these, you know, abilities, you know, does it matter whether or not I'm on the phone with them and I like them, right? Or so. Yeah, I mean, it opens up another can of worms of like, well, how, how did the machine make these judgments? Because they're typically based right. on a whole bunch of past human judgments. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Because if we program it with our with our biases, it's just going to keep going. Was that garbage in, garbage out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, is there a book that you're reading these days? Uh, if someone uh, maybe has already read your book, well, is there another book that maybe you, you might suggest people check out? The one I'm reading right now is called Noise by Death, Daniel Kahneman and Cass Sunstein. I'm like looking at it right here. Um, I, I've always found, found what they, their previous books, like Thinking Fast and Slow, are really good. But this new book, Noise, is really about uh, decision-making and how mm. not just bias, but noise slips into all these decisions with those doctors or judges or the hiring decisions and so somebody gave it to me and was like this is so on point for everything you guys talk about with greenhouse yeah and it's really a lot of the um kind of scientific underpinnings of, of the stuff we talk about and just like every page i'm reading i'm like yes this is exactly how we think about things this is amazing yeah. so love that book well, i'm so good. glad that you brought that book up because i didn't know it existed because the last one i had read i read Th- thinking fast and slow but I actually prefer the undoing project uh much better version of the same yeah. story. Uh, but uh, yeah, I didn't know Noise was out because I love Kahneman. That's uh, fantastic. So It's great. No, it's, I, I just started it like halfway through and it's really... Well, how can people find out more about you if they're interested in uh, you know, finding out more about Greenhouse or your book? What's the places for them to do that? Of course. Uh, so companies at greenhouse.io. Uh, book, we have a website at talentmakersbook.com. Uh, that's mostly where you find me. I don't really live on social media, so I can't give you my Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're interested in Greenhouse and you're interested in background checks, the good news is we're already connected with these guys, so we'd love to have you know come in and help you uh, on both ends. Uh, you know, John, it was really it was a great pleasure to have you on the show today. Really appreciate your uh, you know thoughts on on this part of the uh, sort of the human capital perspective, and love to have you come back at some point and give us an update on everything you're doing. Awesome! Thanks for having me. I'd love to. All right, everyone, don't forget to check out my new book, which landed last week, Remote Work. Uh, Everything you ever wanted to know about how to have a remote or hybrid team and how to get it done. Uh, And appreciate everyone tuning into the show live today. And don't forget, if you want to listen to the podcast, go and subscribe. Hopefully, you've learned something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 